I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The biotech sector surged in the first half of the year despite volatile markets. M&A and financing continue to be robust as Evaluate Pharma weighs in with its Pharma and Biotech half-year report. We spoke to Jonathan Gardner, Deputy News Editor of EP Vantage, about the trends in the first half of the year, whether 2014 will set new records for M&A activity, and the threats out there that may put an end to the good times. John, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Evaluate Pharma just released its half-year pharma and biotech report. We're going to talk about what's happened during the first six months of 2014 and what's ahead in the second half of the year. It's shaping up to be a big year on many fronts, but as good as the markets have been, you know that while the NASDAQ Biotech Index beat the major indices up 13% in the first half, it topped out in February and actually turned negative in April. What should we make of this? Does this reflect the departure of the generalist investor? Well, I think what happened was that that the generalist investors did kind of get um, a little bit scared at at the um, at, at really how quickly and how far the the um, the the uh, biotech valuations got um, over the course of the first half. Um, and I think that one of the things that threw them was was the whole debate over, for example, uh, the pricing of uh, Gilead Sciences' new uh, hepatitis C drug, Savaldi. Um, one of the things that makes makes it difficult for people to, I guess, support really, really high valuations in biotech is the whole idea that drug prices are unsustainable. So I think that that really scared a lot of people. One of the other things that happened, I think, in the course of the, of the first half, and particularly in the latter, in the, in the second quarter, was the whole debate over um, inversions. Um, the prices of, of many of these biotechs are based around the whole idea that they can be acquired. And certainly, um, and, and particularly for some of the overseas companies, um, when, when the rhetoric heated up over inversions, I think that that scared a lot of people out of biotech investing in general, even though or perhaps it might, you know, they, they, we might be discussing the NASDAQ here and American companies. I think it just sort of had this tendency to cool off the market through the, uh, through the second quarter. So I think that that's why you didn't see the, the, um, uh, continued upward momentum that we saw in, um, you know, through 2013 and early into 2014 continue through to June. Now I will, I will note for the record that, um, over the weekend we foresaw the, um, uh, Russia's acquisition of uh, Intermune for the uh, the idiopathic uh, pulmonary fibrosis drug Esbriet, and um, that has and, and the, the price that was that Rush paid um, was well in excess of what anyone ex- expected. And we and you, I will note for for that just today, the uh, Nasdaq has exceeded that February peak. 
So maybe we're back <laughs> back back to 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 where we were in in the uh, in twenty thirteen and early twenty fourteen. So among the the big cap stocks, AstraZeneca, Eli Lilly, and Merck were were the biggest gainers in the first half of the year, each for different reasons. These are not names I think I would have wanted to own at the at the start of this year. Does this say anything about how the year's shaping up? I think it is, um, and, and in many ways, I think you know. Obviously, these were all unexpected ones, but AstraZeneca was, of course, helped along by um, by acquisition talk. Um, Merck was helped along by ha- having what is now con- perceived as the 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 uh, leading drug in the most exciting area in on- oncology. And Eli Lilly, I think, was was simply um, a case of where people, you know. Uh, um, Saw suddenly saw value in in what they were doing in, in ways that they hadn't seen it in the past. I know that's that's, that's kind of a general way of putting it, but but they were they actually had some clinical development um, and surprised people. So that that would probably explain those three. The big story in the first half of the year may be the M and A activity, which is was on track to be a record year. In fact, it could have been a record already if it, the Pfizer AstraZeneca deal had gone through. The, the rising biotech prices seem to sideline Big Pharma last year, but they've been active buyers. What are they buying, and is there a potential mega-merger in the second half of the year that would put us into the record books? Well, I, th- I think what, what you're seeing is uh, um, a couple of different things. I think you're seeing um, companies, obviously, uh, the U.S. companies seeking overseas assets in order to invert. Um, obviously, that was what happened with AbbVie and Shire. Um, I think you're also seeing people buying. I think- and just for, for clarity with the audience, when we talk about inversions, we're talking about deals that are really driven by the tax advantages uh, of shifting where a corporation is domiciled, so it's outside the U.S.? Correct. Um, and um, Ireland has been a, uh, um, a place where people have, have sought to buy companies in, um, in the more recent past. Um, but even UK companies are now becoming targets because uh, because the the tax rate is relatively low in comparison to uh, to the US, and also has there are certain advantages um, um, tax advantages for domiciling your intellectual property in the UK. Um, so so anyway, the inver- the, the inversions are of course one of the more interesting um, aspects of this. But you're also seeing um, transactions, for example, the um, Asset swap between GlaxoSmithKline and Novartis, where companies were trying to rationalize where they are strong and get shed products where they are weak. Um, so you saw Novartis and, and, and Glaxo trading things, products like vaccines businesses and oncology businesses, in order to, um, I guess, uh, beef up in one area and get rid of weak. Weak, pro- weak lines, weak product lines, weak businesses. Um, that's another another uh, trend we are seeing, and then we're seeing at transactions. Um, not not to go back on this, but uh, like Rush and uh, Rush and Intermune, where uh, clearly promising products um, and one product companies um, that have no real uh, pipeline to speak of are. Putting themselves on the market, if you will, um, and uh, big pharma is seen is, is searching for assets that don't seem to be completely overpriced and have 
promise of fairly immediate reward. So an intermune, for example, where, has it, where, where a product is in the market and already on the market in part of the world and is about to premiere in, uh, um, uh, in the U.S., you're going to see more transactions like this of one, one product companies that are very close to the market or sort of just launching their products. Well, um, in, in some so ways, has Gilead's success with Sabaldi emboldened companies to do those types of transactions? I think so. Um, one, it, it, the, the prices are still out of hand, and, and um, you know, I, I think everyone at the time when uh, of, of Gilead's um, acquisition of, of um, PharmaSat in 2011 thought that was a really risky venture. It turned out very well, well for Gilead. Uh, Roche is, is, has, has its work cut out for it in, in, in turning in turning Esbury into the next Sabaldi. It's possible. Obviously, they 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 were willing to take take a chance on it. You you mentioned the the inversions. Are, are we running a risk of seeing any kind of legislative blowback to to put a stop to these, or is this something that's going to continue uh, through the rest of the year? This is an ongoing. This is going to be an ongoing story. It will it will last well into 2015, perhaps even through to the next presidential election, because. In order to solve this problem, there has to probably be fundamental tax reform, um, at least in the U.S., and perhaps some sort of global compact to prevent uh, between between nations to prevent this race to the bottom. Uh, ultimately, a company companies want to have a zero tax rate. That would be the that would be the that would be the desired outcome for every corporation. And that is simply an unsustainable, uh, uh, I guess, trend for the global economy. So the U.S. has to has to has to have probably major tax reform in order for it, there to be any action on inversion. But I would make the case that it needs to go a step further, and actually, the the major economies of the world need to come to some sort of agreement to not. Uh, try to outbid each other on tax rates before this can ultimately be solved. Last year, I'd say we really saw big pharma out of the chase of biotech assets. It was really the larger cap biotechs that were, were dominant. Does the Roche transaction signal any kind of change there? I mean, are we going to start to see other big farmers stepping up to the plate to go after biotech assets that way? I think you, what you will see is very targeted transactions um, by, by certain companies, um, uh, uh, and Ross should be a good example of, of this, of very narrow companies that have, as I said before, products that are very close to the market and have a very uh, um, a short time horizon before they, they start uh, generating revenue. Um, it's one thing to buy buy an over uh, a, a incredibly expensive asset that has a has a product um, that's five years from the market or even three years from the market. It's quite another to buy something that's perceived as overvalued, but at least in a year or two will start generating revenue for you. And I think there are certain certain companies that that would rather take a chance on a company on a company like Intramune 
um, then do big mergers and acquisitions. I don't think Roche is interested in doing a mega merger. Um, however, I think that there are also companies out there that are looking for the big score. Uh, Pfizer clearly wants a big acquisition. And uh, after the Pfizer and AstraZeneca uh, transaction is by no means over with. Um, so I think that you will see both of these sorts of things happening. These narrow one product hits, you know, certain companies that are, com that have, have, um, very thin or, or, or marginal pipelines looking to bring in a whole new set of products by doing a mega merger. And then I think we will also see more action like Novartis and GlaxoSmithKline exchanging assets, trying to strengthen strengthen where they're already strong and get rid of products that that are weak and don't have don't have the sort of scale in order to make them truly profitable products. We we've had rather muted licensing activity. Any sense that we'll see a resurgence here? I think that that's part and parcel of this the, the perception that that um, biotech is overvalued. Um, licensing is also licensing single products is also thought of as a high risk, um, very expensive thing right now. Um, I think what it would take to to have to uh, um, see a change in licensing activities is the perception that biotech assets are. Uh, the development um, uh, phase biotech assets are are cooling down in terms of their price inflation. Um, I you know until until the um, Nasdaq slows down, I can't see that 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 there's going to be much of a change in in, license, in the current trends in licensing. One other area that's been muted has been the approval of new high value drugs. We've come off two very good years. We've got a, a much-anticipated anti-PD-1, the, the immunotherapy from Merck that you alluded to earlier. But what does 2004 look like in terms of new drug approvals? Is there much to get excited about this year? Well, there's, there are still a couple of really interesting drug approvals that are coming up. And um, we did mention uh, uh, the uh, Merck anti-PD-1 pembrolizumab. Uh, there's a possibility that um, uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb's um, uh, anti-PD-1 product, Nivolumab, would be approved this year, but it's not particularly likely. It's coming very soon after Pembrolizumab. But we also have two uh, hepatitis C pro uh, combination products that are that will probably be approved before the end of the year, and that's that's the um, new Gilead Sciences. Uh, uh, Two molecule product um, of Savaldi and a, 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 a second a second antiviral called the Dipasvir. We've also got the uh, Abbott four pill combination um, that is due to um, have, have its uh, FDA approval decision in the fourth quarter. So there are two very those are those are well I guess you know two very high value hepatitis C products and also one very high value. Uh, 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 Cancer product that are due by the end of the year. So it was it's slow going early, very you know not much in terms of blockbuster potential um, uh, so far in 2014. But the, we still have a few months to go in the year. So I think we will see some very significant products approved before the end of the year. 
on the IPO front, we, we've seen some spillover into Europe. Actually, the biggest deal of the first half of the year took place in the UK, the $332 million IPO of uh, Circassia. How does the second half of the year look? Are we going to see IPO market sustaining? Or are we going to see more activity overseas? I think one of the things that happened, that's, that happened, I think, is, is that simply, um, uh, you know, that we've, we certainly have had a, a bit of a summer lull. Um, it will be interesting. Uh, it, it, I think this one is going to be a hard one to predict because, uh, um, because of the uncertainty and the volatility in, in the NASDAQ right now, I think there were probably, because of what happened in the second quarter, I think a lot of people did pull back. Uh, pull back from uh, they're doing their doing IPOs in the second quarter. Now that we have seen if if, if what we're seeing this week uh, with Nasdaq sort of returning to return exceeding um, its old peaks is sustained through September, it wouldn't see wouldn't be surprising to see October November be very good um, months for IPOs. So when when you look out there, are are there threats that people should be concerned about is there a potential for drug pricing to derail the good times uh is there legislation towards inversions or other things that that really threaten to you know disrupt markets make it harder for companies to raise money what what should keep investors I, I, up at night i mean i do think that that those are the two uh the, those are the two sort of uh um big picture threats to the um, to, to the good times that we're seeing in biotech right now, um, you know, payers will, you know, payers are very interested in keeping a lid on on these very high drug prices, um, and uh, particularly in, in this in this area of hepatitis C, where there are so many uh, patients and so so much so much so much uncertainty about what the total drug bill is going to be. I think that. The inversion uh, uh, rhetoric is not going to go away. It's a very good campaign topic for for uh, Democrats in particular, and uh, I think that's going to be one thing that's going to continue into 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 2015 and 2016 is just simply the simple unsustainability of inversions out of out of the out of the US tax regime into um into uh, lower tax uh, uh, regimes is is going to drive people to try and uh, try and limit the, the uh, limit corporations from doing that what about pipelines themselves i mean part of what's really sustained this this market has been true innovation drugs like sobaldi and and others that have come to market do we do we have the pipeline to to get people excited about and justify the prices we're seeing, I, I, there is so much activity right now uh, in uh, on oncology immunotherapy uh, that it would surprise me. Uh, it was it would be surprising to see the, the uh, it would be surprising to see the sort of concerns about the pipeline that we saw, let's say, late in the last decade. That you know, and concerns about the patent cliff. I think that the, the FDA has been particularly encouraging in, um, in trying to get truly novel new products uh, onto the market, and is now seen as as a slightly friendlier, slightly uh, more accepting, slightly, uh, slightly more collaborative organization than it has been in recent years. And and, and I think that just really encourages 
people to remain interested in early early stage um, assets. And I think the pipeline is uh, is it remains rich, um, in, in, as I said, particularly oncology. Um, and uh, um, I, I don't think that that there's there's as much to worry about in, in terms of a patent cliff in in coming years that, as we saw in the past five or six. John Gardner, Deputy News Editor for EP Vantage. John, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.